0: found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Jason and I are back. We took a week off for some rest and relaxation and getting a little bit better. Uh, Jason was feeling under the weather, and um, so we just took a break for a week, but we're back and ready to talk about some cars. Jason, anything on top of your mind today? Oh, wow. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, we had the week off, so I feel like there's a lot of stuff that um, I want to talk about. A couple weeks ago, there was a car show in uh, Oaks that I went to. Okay. Um, Completely found it out of nowhere. I I was, you know, having my coffee um you know just trying to figure out what i wanted to do with the day uh my wife kelsey was going out to meet some friends so i figured you know what can i do with my day Mm -hmm. um it was supposed to be kind of a not great weather day um and i found like someone had posted on facebook pictures of this car show uh and oaks is probably i don't know 35 40 minutes from me maybe so I thought, you know, why not check it out? Um, so it's indoors, perfect. So it, it was actually snowing that day. Um, so I went out there and it was, I don't want to say custom cars, but it had a mixture of custom cars and classics and mm. kind of show cars, you know, not like, not the stuff that you'd see at like the Philadelphia Auto Show kind
0: of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a uh, normal car show. Like it wasn't a Cars and Coffee. Um... It was like a kind of like a tuner show or just an overall car enthusiast show. Like, if it was inside, it was actually like a planned event. There's probably like judging yes. and stuff like that. So I imagine. Yes,
1: yeah, it was. I didn't stay for the judging, but there, there was that there. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff that I I saw, and like I'll get into that in a second. But the other thing, the one of the, th- the my one favorite thing was, um, you know I have. You know, I had that car that I had in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a 118th scale lit up and everything like that. And I had sent him another one two years ago. It was a Lincoln mm-hmm. Navigator, like a 98 Lincoln Navigator. And I'm still waiting to get back. It's been over two years. So I have this little light up case for the one I have now. And I came across, you know, they have like vendors over there and they had, you know, 118th model scale, things like that. And, um... I came across a vendor that was selling cases and mm. I found one that had three of them. It was like a three level. It was all lit up with the LEDs and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, in anticipation of this car ever getting to me, I got it. So I was very excited about that. Uh, that was probably my favorite thing of the whole show.
0: Does it look like this?
1: Uh, Yeah. Very similar to that, but it's got lights in it though.
0: Okay. Oh, you like, did say it was uh, lit. Yeah. That's pretty
1: Yeah, cool. so there's like yeah, so so like, you know, I wanna I wanna like, you know, keep it safe and clean and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't looking for it. So I think that's what made me so excited. It just like popped up and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I'm so excited. So that was cool. Um, a couple of highlights, I'd say. I saw resto. Is, rest the, of, is this the
0: show where you sent me the f- picture of the Diablo?
1: Yes, yes. Okay. So there's a Diablo there, which is really cool because you don't see them. First off, you don't see them really around. Yeah. And when you do see them, they're roped off. You can't get near them. I mean, this one was out in the open. The doors were open. You know, the hood was open. You could pretty much, you can't get into it, but I mean, you can stick your head in there and see what's Mm -hmm. going on, which is pretty cool. Closest I've ever gotten to a Diablo.
0: Yeah. I mean, Um, Lamborghinis are somewhat rare to see um or that you don't see them frequently and if you do they're probably like a Gallardo or a Hurricane Hurricane right. you yeah. know but like the Diablo was from a time when they were super low production still uh, you know like comparatively you know um Aventadors and Murcielagos and Gallardos they're all more high production than they used to be 25 years ago mm-hmm. Like wh- when the Diablo was around so um that's definitely a more rare car than even some of the modern stuff
1: to me though. I mean, I think it, I think it's personal to me because, you know, I was like a a younger kid seeing these cars um, with having no idea what, what they're worth or anything like that, or how much work it would take to even attain one. Just, just the purity of how cool it looked. So now as an adult being like, you know, understanding how much work it would take and you know, whatever to you know, acquire something like that, yeah, puts that car on a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, so I just get different appreciation of it now as an adult. Even when, you know, I had an appreciation as a kid, it's just different now. So so that was really cool. Um and I was really I was really happy to be able to get, you know, up close and check that out. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Um, there was like a kit car I saw. You know, a lot of cool stuff they had. Like, uh, I know you hate two-strokes, but there was they had a couple of, like racing Banshees, the Yamaha Banshees that, mm-hmm. um, were doing like hundred and five miles an hour, like on a on a uh, on a drag strip, which I would. It just seems super dangerous to me. <laughs> um, something really strange that I saw was. It was like a trike. It was a motorcycle. Did I send that to you? I don't remember. I'll have to send it to you after this, but it it was a it was a motorcycle that someone turned into a trike Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with a trailer on the back. Mm -hmm. But like if you think of the trike area, the guy took out the motorcycle engine and in the trike part, like the rear where the two wheels are, put a Chevy Beretta like Z twenty, I think. think they were z26s maybe or
0: z24s that would have been a z34 or 36 okay the 24 was a cavalier okay you might be right z26 yeah because the z34 was the lumina
1: okay yeah so yeah right z26 i think it was 26 yeah so if you can picture that and it even has like the ribs and everything he put that like the drivetrain, the transverse mounted engine with the transmission on the rear part of this trike. And that yeah. was the drivetrain. Hmm. And that which was actually was running this motorcycle. Um, which is really weird. The dude was like so like, he was definitely an, an eclectic kind of person. <laughs> um
0: yeah, because normally like, if you're going to do like a motor swap, you're going to do like a small Honda engine or something yeah. like that. Just because yeah, Honda it's... engines are are everywhere and parts are cheap.
1: Yeah, this was definitely strange. something I've never seen before, but um, it definitely it drew a crowd, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I saw was, I think it was an 06 SL65 AMG, which mm. like, had super low miles on it. And uh, it was pretty cool to look at. I don't know why I like that one so much, but it just caught my eye.
0: They're good looking cars.
1: Yeah, it's cool. Um, and it was really well you know, kept. Well, well kept. Um, and it was just a, it was a nice day. I had no idea that like, I was going to stumble upon that. So uh, it worked out. But um, that was one thing I wanted to discuss last week until I got the flu. The one other thing I'll point out and before I turn it over to you is I'm waiting for a couple of um a shipment coming in i'm waiting for uh my piston pusher so i can do my brakes soon i'm still waiting for my light to come on which (laughs) i'm not gonna do my brakes until the light comes on okay i'm gonna gonna just get every little bit out of there until i can but like i have everything ready i got the rotors got the pads i will have this my final tool coming in and then i got a flashlight that will charge your phone and i think i told you about this the other day or a little while ago it's a a six thousand lumen flashlight Mm -hmm. which i was looking around and like i have a pretty i I have a pretty bright flashlight and i think it's like 600 lumens okay so this one this one claims and we'll talk about this it's supposed to come this week sometime Mm -hmm. so maybe we'll discuss this next week but okay I'm pretty excited, to, and that's how you know you're an adult when you're getting excited <laughs> to see a flashlight. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see what a 6,000 lumen flashlight looks like. <laughs> but that's uh, that's that's me in a nutshell. Um, okay, catching up since last podcast.
0: Yeah, so the Diablo was. I didn't have, I didn't have posters on my wall as a kid but mm. the Diablo and the Ferrari 355 were like my two poster cars. Like mm-hmm. I, I think they look, both look great. Like mm. the 355 now just looks classic, beautiful to me. Like, mm-hmm. um, the ones before it with the strakes in the side, like the 308s and the Testarossa and the 348s, forty-eights, I'm not so much a fan of those. And then they after the 355 was a 360 and it just became rounded in you know early 2000 style and something about the 355 and it's got the little ducktail in the back that's like it's not a ducktail but it's got the little bump at the back and Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just i think it looks classic and i would totally own one um
1: it's a timeless classic for sure yeah it'll it'll, that car will never go out of style
0: yeah i agree and i'm learning more and more people i thought i used to be the I used to think I was the only person that really liked that or one of few people that liked those, but the last three or four years, I've just been hearing so many people, you know, just ooing and eyeing over that car and talking about how, you know, they, you know, they lost it after it as a kid and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's really coming into its own now that it's, you know, it's 25, 30 years old. Um, and then the Diablo is just, it was just a wild car, you know? Yeah like the generation before us, it was a Countach, but, and that car, I can respect it for what it is, but I, the Diablo was just the one, it was the one of my generation, I think. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just looked awesome. And then, you know, it started showing up in video games, like uh, need for speed. Hot pursuit was the first one. I think I remember in a video game. And, um, that was like one of the halo cars. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so those two cars are always always going to be on my posters on my wall.
1: Yeah, the, the Countach for sure. Um, I think I think you nailed that on the head. I think it's the generation before us. That was like the car that you'd have on your folders, you know, in, in eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, whatever it was. And then now you have us and, you know, you had the, the Diablo, which they were all wheel drive, weren't they?
0: No. They were rear-wheel drive. Yeah, they didn't go all-wheel drive until I believe
1: the Merchilago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was a six-liter. I think it was a six-liter V12 they had. Yep. With no, you know, no. Um, had nothing. No traction control, nothing. Just pure, nope. pure motor. Just hold on tight and, you know, steer straight. It was. It was
0: as safe as the Neanderthal driving.
1: Yeah, I mean, geez, wow! I can't remember. I don't even think I've ever seen one close up. Can you remember? Like, have you ever seen one? As like, you know, I mean, obviously a car show, but even car shows, you one don't see them. Show.
0: I don't think I've seen one at a car show. I, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen one on the road. Um, I've seen a Merchilago or two on the road, and I might have seen the Ventador. Mm-hmm. There's this awesome blue uh, hurricane. No, it's not blue. It's green. It's like lime green or, um, whatever you want to call it, but it's a bright green hurricane convertible that lives near me. Um, mm. and so I, he actually drives it a decent amount. I've saw it probably six or seven times last year on my commute home, um, a couple miles from the house, but I've seen that one fairly frequently. And I think there's a white or orange one that goes to the Just Joe's cars and coffee occasionally. I, I see the Huracan the
1: most. And
0: the other ones, not so much.
1: I don't know what a Diablo would be worth these days, but I would imagine two, three 300000 I don't think so. You don't I mean, think? Maybe
0: maybe for a nice one with low miles, but I think if you find one, it's got like 30, 40,000 miles on it. I think you could get it for about a hundred. Wow, really? That's just that's just speculation, but that like if you get one, it's not an SV or it's not um, a roadster, which they look better in a coupe than a roadster. I mean, or a hardtop. You know, the roadster yeah, right. just take something away from it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think if you get like a run of the mill, not like a crazy color, so like white or or blue or black, I think you could probably get it for about a hundred.
1: Wow, I thought way more than that.
0: I might be way wrong too. I don't know. I've never actually researched it. I know you can hmm. get the 355, you can get a decent one for like 60, maybe 70. That's that's awesome. That's
1: yeah, that but, sounds like a great price. But you got
0: about a twenty five thousand dollar service bill every two years. Oof. Cause they I mean now this is assuming that it doesn't get driven like most of them. But on mm. general, on average, they say you should replace the timing belt every two years, mm-hmm. and that's a motor out um, service job. And so Jeez. it's one of those things where it's actually only I think six or eight thousand dollars to do the timing belt, but it's one of those things where the while you're in there, it's rack up really
1: quickly. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, oh, that's the. I think that's a, something that. A lot of people don't think about They're like oh you know i can't really afford this 10 year old luxury car but now i can so let me buy it and then oh wait i can't afford the maintenance on it for sure i think pe- people don't think about that kind of thing which we were planning on discussing maintenance last week which we couldn't because obviously mm-hmm. you know I was i wasn't feeling yeah. up to
0: it i mean I don't really know what i had in mind for last week as far as that's concerned but to your point um it's very it's it's easy to overlook the fact that like for example that um black s8 v10 that's in our still in our parking lot that you need to run whoever you are if you're ever thinking about buying an s8 v10 you need to run as fast as you can away from it like a bear is chasing you
1: i'm still thinking about it by the way no (laughs) I would, <laughs> I would, I would literally have to kick you in the crotch. You do not
0: want to buy that car. So th- think about this. That is, that was probably a hundred thousand dollar car, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. It's still a hundred thousand dollar car mm-hmm. that you're maintaining. You're not maintaining right? a ten thousand dollar car. The prior True. owner put twenty thousand dollars into that car in the last year and a half. And it currently needs another fifteen dollars to $18,000 of work. And that's not even getting it to look good. Like it still looks like crap and it's going to need oh, work. Is the body in bad shape? It's, oh, it's rough. And that's how all those cars are. Like whether it's an Audi or a BMW or a Mercedes, you know, you get one of those $100,000 luxury cars. Once it gets past the first owner, maybe the second owner, if they get it a CPO, by the time mm. it's on the third owner, it's like, It's like a doorknob. Everybody's had a turn like no one takes care of it because an oil change is five, six hundred dollars or like if if a suspension bushing, you know, dries out because it's now 10 years old, you know, you're looking at three thousand dollars a corner, probably like Mm -hmm. when you buy a car like that, it comes with large bills. So while you can get it for ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, depending on the car. When Mm -hmm. it comes to maintain it, you have to be realistic in that you're buying a $100,000 car. You have to maintain a $100,000 car.
1: Why we're on this topic, I don't mean to cut you off. Do you have something to add to that?
0: Uh, No, i was just going to continue with more of the same. Like I was going to use my car as an example.
1: So hold that thought because we can tie on to this. So you know Carlisle, right? Yeah so my dad and i for a long time we would go to carlisle and every time we would go to carlisle we would usually go to the spring carlisle which was like everything it wasn't like you know your Buick nationals or ford nationals or whatever Mm -hmm. it was just everything and they always had a car that we would get really excited about and and every time we go we would almost bring something home as a project Uh, really you know and we would always somehow talk ourselves out of it for whatever reason but this one year a couple years ago before you know covid we saw this it was a 1992 or 93 i forget bentley turbo r Mm. it had you know they're like the long body square body Mm -hmm. um this thing had like I don't know, forty-five thousand miles on it or something like that. And it was like it looked good and uh, you know, everything, you know, everything was really clean and the leather was all nice and all that stuff. I think the guy wanted like 20 grand or 22 grand or something like that for this thing, which is back back in ninety-three it was like two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which back in ninety-three dollars was probably like three or four hundred thousand dollars i don't know if not much but close to it um but we were like oh we're getting really excited about this thing and we're like oh this is great like right drive us to the poconos and you know it's be awesome and then i started to think i'm like wow this thing must be a, a fortune to maintain like a night like a, a 1993 bentley turbo r and i was like hey man i was like hey dad like i don't know maybe we should like consider like the what this car is going to cost to own. Yeah. And lo and behold, like the guy who's selling it was kind of like, he was like a quick talker and, you know, like your stereotypical, you know, used car salesman kind of guy, which kind of threw me off and I didn't Mm -hmm. even love it. So we, we wound up um, passing on the deal, but I would like to hear your thoughts on that. What something like that would be to maintain.
0: I honestly have no idea. Um, but I don't think you're far off. I think you're—you definitely were wise to not seriously consider it. Uh, I think it'd be fun. Uh, I also, although it might, it would just be you know a nice highway bomber. That's what it would be.
1: That's know? what I was thinking, like driving yeah. to the shore or something, just chilling. Yeah.
0: And they're like they're—it's kind of like in for me when I think of those. I think it's like in a weird neo classic thing where it's new enough that it's not like an og bentley like from the 60s or 70s yeah but it's old enough where it's not a new bentley when it's owned by volkswagen audi and it's got you know it shares everything with the a8 and stuff like that so like it's in this weird transition period um it was probably green wasn't it
1: uh it was black actually
0: okay yeah I've seen a couple of those um not in person but they're definitely a unique car. Um
1: And it's weird they have like humongous sidewalls. It's ridiculous. They oh, have, yeah. Like 50, 15 15-inch rims with like these humongous sidewalls.
0: Yeah, so um, I was I was going to mention earlier about, you know, we were on the topic of, you know, you buy a a luxury car mm-hmm. that cost $100,000 when it was new, mm-hmm. um you buy it for you know, 10, dollars dollars 30000 when it's 10, 15 years old, you're still maintaining a $100,000 car. Well, case in point, my car, I have a copy of the Monroni, and it was, I believe, about $65,000 was a sticker, price new. Mm-hmm. When, If you convert it into 2007, when you convert it to today's dollars, it'd be essentially buying a $96,000 car. And I, I've, mm-hmm. it actually holds true because I built a Cayman S, a current Cayman S on the website with similar options to what mine has and it's right around that the same price range so the prices have been actually pretty stable Mm -hmm. um but prior to me buying the car in the summer of 2020 the prior owner actually did take it to um the local porsche dealer to have some service done okay so um at the porsche dealer the oil change was 315 Mm dollars and Then he also did the brake fluid. That's done every two years. The brake fluid was $200. This is from 2015. So, this is a seven year old document. At an independent shop in 2016, he had the same, he had the 40,000 mile service, which is air filter, spark plugs, oil change, pollen filter. Um, He had that and an inspection done, and it was $781. Jeez. And that was a 40,000 mile service. So there's 29, he did the 40,000 mile service again in 2019, even though he'd only gone about 3000 miles. And at the dealer, the 40,000 mile service was $1,400. My point is it was at that time, a 10, 12 year old car. And it's still costing that much. Like you have to, it just makes me cringe when I see people take, you know, a 40, 60, $80,000 car, to Like Jiffy Loop to get the oil change, it just you might think you can afford the car, but that's just the payment you might be thinking about. If you can't afford the maintenance, you can't afford the car,
1: right? So, listen to this. So, I bought my Audi S3 through Carvana, and when I bought the car, I got you know, like the whatever extended warranty I could buy, which happened to be through Silver Rock, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's their I think they own that company. Oh, do they? I think so.
1: And, you know, I mean, it's worked pretty well for me. I mean, I've had that car in for a lot of uh, warranty repair and they always paid the claims. But the thing that surprised me always was they had certain shops that you would go to and wouldn't have to pay the deductible. Mm -hmm. I think it was like a $50 deductible. Like, it wasn't a big deal. But the thing that shocked me was the places that they partnered with was like a Pep Boys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So like I could bring my Audi S3 to a Pep Boys and not have to pay my deductible. But if I brought it to Audi of Westchester, which you know is a specialist for this car and has professionals who understand the vehicle and know how to work on it, but we have to pay a deductible for that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It would, it would like as a car enthusiast to me, I would always think that they would want this car to go to the place that would be able to service it properly the first time. Cause Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if I took that car to Pet Boys for a concern, it would probably wind up at the alley dealership anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, I've seen situations where an independent mechanic, whoever it is, or, you know, a small lube shop, they, a, a customer unknowingly takes a car to them for something. And before you know it, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff going on, or they, they say, here's the code, but we, we don't want to touch it. Like it's, mm. that's above our heads. And yeah, I mean, the, the deductibles wave because they're a lot cheaper. Um, and there's all kinds of different warranties you can get that are obviously some are better than others. But yeah, I think if I was in your situation, $50 is pretty, pretty cheap insurance, knowing that, you know, an expert is going to be working on it. It's going to get original equipment parts and, you know, it's going to be done right. They have the diagnostic tools to fix it properly the first time um, and all that stuff that goes with it, even though. You have the deductible to pay i think in the long run it's probably going to give you better peace of mind knowing that you know it was done properly now if you have something like you have a noisy wheel bearing okay maybe maybe somebody like you know a loop shop can handle something like that that's not as complicated but um when you start getting in, into electrical diagnostics and things like that that's when you really want to be more choosy about where you go
1: yeah. To me, it's like the small things, you know, I think that, and that's probably the niche that the, the dealerships probably try and get themselves into. Like, I know that, you know, when I, when I bring my car to an out-of-dealership, I get like the, uh, a pretty, a pretty like well thought out, like vehicle report, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, I like reading that stuff. I like having that in my fault in my folder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you just don't get that stuff at like an independent shop or whatever. And, and I think it, it really depends on like the kind of person you are. Cause like they are run, you're running the mill people who are probably leasing that car or whatever, probably don't give a crap about that. But if you're like a car enthusiast and you're trying to maintain your vehicle and keep it in good shape, it's nice to have those history reports. Mm-hmm. Like in-depth ones, rather than like an independent shop just being, like, oh yeah, like you might need brakes and ten thousand miles, like you know you want to keep an eye on that. But we had, we had, I remember, we had nineteen ninety-seven Ford Taurus, which I have a little soft spot for because at that time in my life we were really close, my parents. Do you remember that year? It's a kind of like an awkward kind of um, body style for the Taurus. A lot of people don't like it, like, like an eggshell mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the SHO model that had that 3.4 liter Yamaha V8. Right. And I remember my dad and I were at Springfield Ford, and they had a color that if you looked at it in a certain light, it looked purple.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but if you looked at it like on another light, it looked silver. It was like a silver purplish color. Okay. And they couldn't agree on that. And the salesman was like not budging at all on anything. So we walked away from that car and I was like 10. I was like, no, like we need this car. And, um, so we wound up not getting that. So like months later, my parents wound up getting a 1997 lx Taurus lx with the with three liter uh door 24 valve in it which is a fine car great but it wasn't a it wasn't a four liter it wasn't a 3.4 liter v8 that i wanted mm-hmm. so bad um and my point of the story is years down the road like 15 years down the road um they brought it to a jiffy lube or something and and they just for an oil change and they're like, oh yeah, you need to get your um, like radiator flush and all that stuff, blah blah blah. And they're like, okay, like like sign me up for that. We probably need that. And something happened where they didn't they didn't um, like reattach the upper rad hose properly or something. And my sister was driving, and the car like overheated, but no one knew it was overheating, and mm. kept driving it, and basically it almost blew the engine apart. Mm-hmm. Um, So it was like a whole big thing of like you have to go back and it was like a whole nightmare. But the point of the story is that it happened at one of those lube shops that Mm -hmm. probably wasn't doing its due diligence. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. When I was working at Subaru, it was very common to have a car towed in because they took it to somewhere and they drained the transmission fluid instead of the engine oil. And then on top of that, half the time they didn't realize they did that, and so they added, they filled the car with, they filled the engine with the engine oil they thought they drained. Mm. So instead of having five quarts in the engine, you now have ten, and yeah. your transmission has none. And right. so you leave the you leave the the service facility, and your engine starts smoking, and it's and it's shifting funny. And then <laughs> that's if you get anywhere. Sometimes they didn't even have a chance to back out of the the bay. It's not the situation everywhere. But right. I had a customer this week that has been taking his car to a, to an independent shop. And I think they have their place. I'm not just against them because I do it for a dealer. Like I, There are times when it's perfectly fine to go to an independent shop for some stuff. Mm. Um, mm. But for comparison's sake, he's been taking his, his car to this place every 5,000 miles to do his oil change. And mm-hmm. they were charging him like $160 to do his oil change. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I stopped, I stopped coming to you guys. Cause you guys were too expensive. You were like over $200 for an oil change. And I'm like, okay. Well, I said, as long as they're using the right oil, that's fine. You know, cause then you can go 10,000 miles. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's a 10,000 mile interval. If you do it, you know, with the proper oil. And he's like, well, I guess they're using that, but I do it every 5,000. am like, well, I said, you're, you're wasting your time and money, you know? And so we looked at his receipts, and he's actually paying more going to an independent spot than he would have if he had come to us. Now, that's just in money. If you he's a real real estate agent, so if you factor in his time as well, because he's you know they're always busy. Mm-hmm. He has to take his car in for service twice as often. And an independent shop's not gonna have things a dealer might have, like loaners or stuff like that. Right, right. So like that's more of an inconvenience for him cuz he's got to drop it off and have someone pick him up or wait there with it while they do it you know like mm-hmm. it's things like that when people see the price on the front end and just base it off of that when right. you have other things to think of so there's a lot of things that go into it so i i always you know don't don't write off taking your car to the proper places for certain things like a lot of times I'll see a car that's coming in for a recall and hasn't been to the dealer for a while for pretty much the same reason. And then we find, you know, that this and this is is worn out and no one ever told him about it. Or like this same car that I was just talking about, there was a gouge on the inside of his tire sidewall that had cords exposed and his other shop never even told him about it. But we saw it in our, in our inspection that we do with every vehicle. And now, you know, I mean, that would have failed a safety inspection. You've got exposed, you know, uh structural parts of the tire um what what yeah, was the there's, model of the car that. it's a q7 so you've got this you know 5,500 pound suv going down the road with basically a hole in the tire and yeah you know stuff like that but like my family goes to the dealer for a lot of their stuff because you know they they want it to be done right they want it to be done by a professional um they used to go to an independent shop but now as cars are getting more complicated they find the value more in going to a dealer. Plus it's a family owned dealer that they go to. They have, they all have, most of them have Fords. Um, They have a a relationship with the people there. And, you know, I bet you if something ever happened, that dealership would have their back and go to bat for them with Ford. You know, if they really needed something.
1: It's hard for me because I think that dealerships sometimes take advantage of certain things but I also do see the value in the service they provide and the knowledge. So I think it's definitely valuable. I take my car to, to dealership all the time because I, I want that professional service, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to know my car is in good hands. And and even so, like, like there was times where I had to bring my car into the dealer and um, you know, there may have been an extended extended waiting period where you know, parts or whatever, you know, and and the dealer took care of me with with loaner cars and things like that, which is perfect. I think that's where like the more in-depth issues and things like that really come into play. Um, That's where you're really going to, I think, make it worth the vehicle's um, quality to stay with the dealer, Mm -hmm. in my opinion.
0: Don't get me wrong, like there are... It's not the dealers that are good or bad it's the people that work there that give the dealerships good or bad reputation like mm-hmm. yeah there are there are salespeople there are service people that mm-hmm. all they care about is padding their paycheck you know mm-hmm. I've seen it every dealership I've worked at and you know obviously it's not a new thing they get their nickname dealership for a reason like you know it's anything, that there's always been stories. Everybody's got a story about something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But to the same point, the little shops, they're doing the same game. It just Mm -hmm. looks different because like, you know, Mm -hmm. I've seen it before where um, somebody will be taking it to one of those little uh, lube stores and, you know, they're recommending air filters every 20,000 miles for the engine. They're recommending, um, you know, you got you to gotta flush your power steering fluid. You got to flush your, um, your cooling system. Like they're recommending these things every two or three years. When, if you look at the actual factory maintenance schedule, they're not due f- sometimes for 60, 80, 100,000 miles lifetime, you know? So like you're paying for these extra services that aren't actually needed because that's how they make their money. Like, yeah, you know, they might charge you 20 bucks for an oil change, but when you start adding up all these little services that might not even be needed for your car, they're just selling them. Because how are they going to know the maintenance schedule for every single car on the road? They right. don't. They just have items they want to sell at certain intervals and that's what they do. And so, you know, the, the bills look smaller. Like it's only $30 for an air filter instead of $150 for an air filter at the dealer. But if you're doing it, you know, Every two years when you don't actually need to be doing it that often, it's you're not saving any money.
1: I've seen guys doing like used car PDIs and things like that, oil filter, air filter, all that stuff, but never never actually doing them. Mm. Or maybe not changing the oil filter, just you know draining it, keeping the oil filter on there and filling it back up. Because they don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard
0: I've heard a couple of stories like that over the years um about a sleazy technician or i mean it happens in sales obviously you know you have people that you know just want to sell whatever they can make money on and it's unfortunate because there are also good people in the industry that you know truly treat each of their customers like they would be a family member and looking out for their benefit like i've told people before like look you don't have to buy tires here just mm. get some safe tires before winter. That's that's mm. what I care about, you know. Like mm. so, and I I don't know if that means anything to him or not, but I have I have said that before because at the end of the day, I just want people to be safe, you know.
1: I think it does. I think people, and again, like I'm talking about my perspective, and and I'm talking about how people interact with me in my line of business. And I think people generally, when they're coming for some type of professional advice, I feel like they always have a little bit of skepticism. Mm-hmm. So like, especially at dealership, they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I have skepticism about what you're going to tell me because you're going to try and you know, roll me over the coals. And some people may want to do that, but I feel like probably seventy-five percent of the people are, you know, honest people who really care about people's safety and vehicles on the road, right? So I think that when people find somebody who they, who clearly has their best interests at heart, you stay with that person. Mm-hmm. And you that's the I mean? hard
0: part. That's the hard part is is being able to get to that point where you can you know that you can trust the person because one it takes building a relationship Mm -hmm. and two you have to get to the point where you're building the relationship like
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you know I've I have clients who when their car comes in for service I could literally decide for them what services they're going to do and they would be okay with it because they know that I you know i'm not going to do something that's not needed or i'm going to do right. things the right way but yeah i i also don't take advantage of that like i pretty much run everything by them every single time um but they for some of them that took 3 years for us to get to that place you know it mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. takes it takes time and effort on both on both sides and what if you know, you go somewhere for the first time and you don't get a great experience. Well, either you're not going to go back there or you're going to maybe try someone else. But more than likely, you're not going to go back there. So then you have to start over again somewhere else. And then you try somewhere else. And if you don't have a good experience there, then you're just going to keep searching. And, you know, you never have the chance to, to build that relationship to where that you know that, you know, you can take them at their word and trust what they're saying.
1: Yeah, um, I hear you. I think sometimes people are, some people are more, I guess, less apt to trust others than other people are. I'm, I'm sort of that way. Like, you know, it takes me a while to trust people. I think too. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, when you when you find, like, I think that you know, if you treat people the right way, and you're you're, I think people want to. Like they don't want the like the wool pulled over their eyes. Like be straight with like be straight with people, and I, and in my experience that always works the best, at least for my personality and um, at least like in our relationships professionally, that's like one of the reasons why I was like, oh, this guy this guy's like a straight shooter. Like he tells me what's up. Like he's not trying to sell me anything extra. He's telling me what the deal is. Like tell me what I should do, or what like. Also, like what needs to be done to like satisfy whatever.
0: I think it's trying time to change the subject. Um, a couple of things that I had been thinking about. Have you heard about the new
1: GR Corolla that was just launched? I did hear about that, and I was very know surprised about, it? about that. I do not know anything about it now. I was surprised. I mean, I'm kind of part of
0: me was surprised because it's not something that I thought they would bring here, mm-hmm. but part of me is not surprised because they actually are starting to get into more enthusiast cars. Like they have, um, they have the, it used to be the sign FRS and now it's the Toyota 86 and they brought the second generation of that back, which I didn't expect to happen. So they had a two door sports car and then they brought the super back. And while it is, you know, a lot is shared with the, with BMW, it's still a sports car that Toyota's selling. And, now they have over in Japan and I think somewhere in Europe, they have the GR Yaris, which was this snorty little thing. Like we talked about the uh, Fiat 500 abart before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a competitor to that. Like it's this mm-hmm. snorty, small little car. And now they brought its big brother, the Corolla. And it looks it looks like a really cool car. It looks great. It's got a turbocharged three-cylinder at 1.6 liter. Nice. But I thought, I know you like stats, like horsepower Mm -hmm. numbers and stuff like that. So I looked this up as we were getting on. Uh So do you know what the power is on your car?
1: Uh, For what? Horsepower? Horsepower and torque. I'm not sure about torque, but I'm pretty sure horsepower is like 292 or something
0: like that. So you have 292 horsepower and 280 foot-pound of, of torque. Okay. So 292,
1: 280.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think my car is?
1: I want to say like 320. I'm not sure about torque.
0: Okay. So my car has 295 horsepower and less torque at 250. Wow. So How much does that thing weigh? Uh, my car weighs right around 3,000 pounds, maybe okay. 3,100. Um okay. so we basically have the same amount of power. Uh my power comes in a little bit higher, but mm-hmm. I have less torque than you. So you've got 292, mm-hmm. 280, mm-hmm. and I've got 295 and 250. Mm-hmm. The Yaris has 300 horsepower and th- 273 pound feet. Jeez. So it's got a little less torque than you, and decent amount more torque than me. And it's got half the engine size that i do and it's got more power than both of our cars
1: and it has to weigh way less
0: if i would think it probably weighs a little bit more than my car but not much it's somewhere in between your car and my car
1: on a yaris
0: no this is a corolla
1: oh corolla okay
0: yeah the corolla is what they're bringing to the united states and it's all-wheel drive wow and it's a it comes with a manual transmission
1: do you find it weird that like all I feel like all of these enthusiast cars are coming out of the woodwork right before all these electric cars are coming out?
0: So it does seem like there is a resurgence of enthusiast vehicles. Um but I just want to buy them all up. I don't think there are as many electric coming out as you think there are or that it might seem like there's a lot of hype around electrics. You and know. Maybe
1: I'm just getting like overly anxious about any of them coming out yeah (laughs) because i I mean i want them to
0: stay away it's it's definitely
1: something that's coming
0: about but it it, i think what a lot of people think is it's like two sliders that the more electrics come out the more gas is going away Mm -hmm. but gasoline cars aren't really budging and at the same time some more electrics are coming out and It's not even to the point, like some manufacturers have more than one electric car, some don't have any, and some just have one. And so it's almost like sports cars. Some manufacturers have a few sports cars, some don't have any, and some just have one. You know, Mm -hmm. so you can kind of Mm -hmm. think about the same, like electric cars, I think in 2020, only were 4% of car sales overall. So 100 cars on the lot, only four of them are electric. Mm -hmm. You know, we there's a lot of hype around electrics taking over in the next 5 or 10 years and i just don't see it happening. yes there's right. going to be more of them but it's it's not going to be as it's not going to be like a light switch that mm-hmm. that, that it's being hyped up to be. it's going to take more time. and i don't even good. think i think even in 20 years it's not even going to be 50% of the market.
1: good that makes me feel better. <laughs>
0: i might be wrong because <laughs> i can i don't have a crystal ball. But right. I don't think it's going to be as big of a switch as people think it is.
1: Well, that's interesting. The the, uh, the Corolla GR is something that I never would have thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still very, you know, we talked about the Elantra and that we saw at the car show that we were like, yeah, I don't really love the design. But I saw one the other day on the road and I was like, man, like. That thing looks kind of cool. And then I watched a couple of videos on it, and it it has, like, crackle pop tune and stuff like that, which was kind of cool. And it's, like, half the price of, like, an S3, which is, I think, comparable to the performance. But you're not getting the same type of luxury. kind. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's different.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think I, you have I to don't... drive it because yeah. I think you were comparing the spec sheet Mm. and without actually driving it. Yeah. I think it's not the whole picture.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I could do it, man. I love my car so much. I don't know if I could down. Yeah. I don't want to say downgrade, but go to something else. I find myself some entertaining something. I never thought I would, if that makes any sense. But one thing that I have to mention before we end tonight is, and you'll get a kick out of this. Is when I was at that car show in Oaks, I came across a vendor that was selling all kinds of
0: like the sales brochures?
1: Yeah, sales brochure, exactly. So like there's like like so this guy had all these sales brochures from like any car you would ever want. Where do you think I started looking?
0: (laughs) You were looking for a Lincoln, of course.
1: Yeah, but which one? The Mark Eight. So I found it. And I found it and I was like 1998. And uh the guy won like 20 bucks for it. And at the time I had, I, I had no money. I, I, I ran out of cash, but I, I had also found the um, case for my cars. So I went to the ATM and you know, brought enough cash out to get both things. And I went to the, I bought my, uh, the, the um, case. And then I went back to the sales brochure, like literally three or four times. And I had it in my hand. And I was like, no, like you don't need this. I'm like, yeah, I want it, but like, now I don't need it. And because I had done i done the same thing in Carla for my Mustang, my first Mustang, I bought like a 1987 Mustang sales for sure, which I still have. I, I never look at. It just sits mm-hmm. in the closet. So like at the very end of the day, I was like, you know what? Like I'm just gonna sit on this. It's not gonna do anything for me. So I just put it back. But the whole time, I was, I was like, Isaac would be laughing at me right now <laughs> because of this whole situation, because of Lincoln Market.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised you debated that much. I figured it was going to be a hole-in-one.
1: No, it took a long time, uh, back and forth. And the guy was probably you know, thinking I was stealing things.
0: <laughs> so I have one car spotting uh, to go. Actually, I, I saw two this week that were interesting. Um, yeah. But we can end on this. So I saw uh, a Jag E Type yeah. uh, last week. Uh, I don't remember what color it was, but I saw one of those. I actually uh-huh. I don't do it often, but I gave the guy a thumbs up. Like that's that's a pretty cool car.
1: An E Type. Yeah. Is that the SUV? No, this is from
0: back in the '60s. The old oh Long oh world.
1: oh yeah. yeah, like the Bond like was it was on the Bond film. I don't know if it was or not, but that era. Yeah, I'm it looking like, it up
0: super long hood it came with a straight six or a straight 12 or no yep, it was a v12 yep. yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah. it I was a
0: it was a convertible um mm. i don't actually i've never seen a coupe in person now that I think about it um i'm pretty saw, sure this was in bond i don't know if you can see that but it might have been i mean it was a hot car it still is yeah did and the then, guy
1: respond to
0: you i don't know it was kind of like in passing so i don't know if he saw me or not
1: were you um, in your car your cayman
0: i think so I'm trying, I can't remember which day I saw it. I feel like it was on mm. the weekend sometime. Mm. Um, I think it was. I think I think I was coming home from work on Saturday. I think that's when it was. Mm. And then the other one was, I think, Monday. But I saw a Mercedes Maybach. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was one of the newer ones. So they came out in like the mid-2000s uh, yeah. as only a Maybach. And it had only Maybach like, badging and emblems on it. But right. this is one of the newer, current ones. I actually still sell them. I didn't know if they did or not. They came, they brought them back about two years ago, and this was uh, one of the current ones. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool too.
1: And they're and they're what they're
0: based off of the S series, right? Yeah. So they're a, a more luxuriified Mercedes S class. So they have two models, um, the 560 and the 680 or something like that. The the higher one shows that it's not available right now, but the 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 base model um MyBach starts at 187.
1: Jeez. So
0: and it's really just a extra fancy Mercedes S class, which is already nice. Right. Yeah. It's it actually, I think the only way you can tell them apart is it's got a lot of chrome on it. Like it's kind of gaudy amount of chrome on it.
1: Like two months, like over the top, yeah. kind of. That's the kind of car that you don't drive yourself. You have someone drive it for you. Oh, exactly.
0: Yep. So that's my car sighting for this week. I'm going to see if I can keep it going on a roll where I have something new every week.
1: Yeah, it's like that should be I'm a sure segment. I can,
0: especially now that the weather's getting better, I'm sure it'll be really, yeah. pretty easy to keep going for a while.
1: 100%. It's like a whole segment. Just your car spotting on your <laughs> daily commute is just awesome.
0: Yeah. I, lo- I love it. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. Uh, you can reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. We look forward to hearing from you and your feedback is always appreciated and would love it if you could rate us and review us on your favorite podcast app of choice, whether it be Stitcher or uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, until next time, enjoy the drive.